0: Hello, Slate Plus members. We wanted to take a moment and say thank you once again for your membership and support, which has become more important than ever, especially in times like these. You're helping everyone at Slate do the work that we do, and we're doing our best to put out the best work for you. Now, if you're a reader at Slate, as well as a listener, you may have heard that Slate.com recently installed a paywall, but as Slate Plus members, you have access to everything on the site. As long as you're a member, you will not hit a paywall. All you have to do is sign in at Slate.com slash log That's slate.com/slash login. And if you have any questions about your account, you can send an email to plus at slate.com. Dear prudence.
1: Dear prudence.
0: Dear Prudence.
1: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should
2: contact him again?
0: Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini-episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guests this week are Tony Golan-Vallea, who helps nonprofits get what they need out of software, and Lizzie Marmon, who secures grants and donor relationships for cultural institutions. And now, here's our first letter. All right. uh, Next question, I think, is yours, Tony. Mm -hmm. And Sorry, I tried to cut this one down as much as I could, but... Oftentimes, I think when I get a question that's about anxiety, you get a lot of details because this is somebody who's been thinking about this for a very, very long time, and that's just kind of part of the nature of the type of question.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, like, maybe if I chew it over for long enough, like, it'll somehow make sense on the 25th time. Total sympathy. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we have to share friends? Dear Prudence, I've been dating my current partner for three years. I love him very much. We're currently doing long distance, and as such, only see each other a few times a year for stretches of a week or so. He works in the town he grew up in and stays in touch with a group of friends he has had since high school. I've met most of them individually, and I'm happy to hang out with them individually. This is where the trouble comes in. I'm deeply uncomfortable with the prospect of interacting with my boyfriend's friends as a group. I have what I'm pretty sure is undiagnosed social anxiety, and I've always been anxious to the point of tears in group settings. This anxiety is in no way mitigated by my boyfriend's presence. This comfort stems from a history of negative group interactions, and if I'm being honest, a big part of me is worried that my boyfriend will see my awkwardness and love me less. I know myself, and I know that, as has been the case before, this will most likely result in me feeling awkward, other people, especially my boyfriend, feeling bad that I'm feeling awkward. I also know that it will take me days, even weeks, to get over the anxiety that such occasions will cause. One of the traditions in their friend group is a fireplace night where they sit together and talk to one another about their lives and ideas. This sounds lovely, but it's not for me. Um, In fact, the prospect of maybe having to participate in it pretty much makes me want to die. My boyfriend says he understands my lack of enthusiasm, but I do worry that he's saying this to avoid hurting my feelings. This is especially worrying when his mother—he lives with her— informs me that his friends have mentioned to her that they feel odd with my lack of engagement. Prudence, I have no issue interacting with his friends individually. I also have no interest in trying to limit what my boyfriend does. I actively encourage him to hang out with his friends and fully support him whenever they have group outings. It's just that I don't want to be a part of them. For now, the long distance has kept this from being a huge issue, but I do worry that in the future this may become a more acute problem. Am I being unfair to my boyfriend? And am I being unfair to his friends? My friends have called me out on my compartmentalizing behavior before, and I don't want to let this grow into something malignant. But I also don't want to put myself in situations
0: that will make me uncomfortable. There's a lot going on here. I think I have a couple of uh, framing thoughts, one of which is I think that you could be getting more help with your anxiety than you are currently getting. And I think it would be really good for you to get more help. Not because I can guarantee that if you get that help, you are suddenly going to be really comfortable in group situations and you'll then be able to just go and do that on a weekly basis and feel great. But this is a pretty high level of um not being able to interact with other people. And again, I don't want to say that in a tone that is like, and that makes you a bad person or not worth being around or you you better get okay with it or people are going to stop wanting to, to know you. I just mean, this is really severe. And when things get to this level of severity, if, if the idea of being around even nice people that you've already met one-on-one th- seems like something that you would need to take like weeks to recover from, that is a sign that you need a lot of help there. And there's no shame in needing help, but I think if you are not currently... Uh, I don't know if you're on medication for your anxiety. I don't know if you're in talk therapy for your anxiety. I don't know if you've done any of that in the past and it's been helpful. But I would say this is a really good indicator that it's time to get more support. That's yeah. my starting thought. Yeah. So
2: Yeah. It is that question of goals, like what do you actually want to happen? And and that idea that, you know, this isn't tremendously restrictive because it's negative. I, I doubt that you're uh, relationship would end because you you don't go to the fireplace sessions. But I do doubt that you—it it doesn't read like the letter writer wants this right. to be the state of affairs, even if it was a state of affairs that their boyfriend and
0: friends were comfortable with. Right, And they, they do mention that for long distances kept this from being a big issue, but the, the implication I got was we may, in the not-too-distant future, be living close to one another, and that would lay bare how much this is like— um, I've had a couple of coping st- structures in place yeah. that have made my life bearable, but um, if we were in the same town, it would become apparent um, just how much I'm struggling. Yeah, and more important than, like, whether we think it's plausible, whether they would
2: break up in that case, you know, if this was brought to light and the boyfriend, like, suddenly saw the the awkwardness that he probably already knows about. Of course. Um, is, that, is that they feel like that that would happen. Yeah. And— that's worse.
0: And even if you didn't break up, just that it would be really difficult because mm-hmm. your, your boyfriend would both be really sad that you were suffering mm-hmm. and would also be sad that you weren't able to enjoy the interactions that he and his friends really enjoy. Um, and even if you stayed together, and it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a worst-case scenario for it to be hard for the both of you, and I think this is a good indicator that you need to start – thinking about how you can access help again not so you can say so I'm gonna get great at it and by the time we live together I'm gonna to be super suave in group settings but even if it's just like I could do one of them a year and I don't think I would cry for weeks afterwards that would be a huge uh shift or even if it was just like I would be able to confidently tell these people in one-on-one settings I have an incredibly hard time being with groups I, I work on it but there's just a, a- there's a ceiling on how I'll ever be able to handle that. And I just want you to know that about me. And I love seeing you one-on-one, but like just so that you'd be able to talk about it without feeling like you had to hide it or cover it up or or just act like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I one of the things I wonder and worry about is, what the relationship is with their own friends. Mm. Has the boyfriend come to visit you? Have you hung out with your friends and your boyfriend?
0: Do you have friends? Do
1: you have? You say, my friends have called me out on my compartmentalizing behavior before, but is that a is that live in-person group? And we are big fans of live online groups, mm-hmm. but... You know, how would those interactions maybe go if it was you, your boyfriend, and people who you already had a history with where you weren't adding yourself to your boyfriend's existing relationships with them? I wonder if maybe like a remote presence in the fireplace night might feel like a possibility, like maybe you and one of your friends like calling into it. Maybe you don't have to say anything, but you're you're not in the space. You have a little distance. You have a little extra safety built in. And, you know, for— what it's worth, like when it comes to anxiety and and whether or not you're being supported in, in therapy, if you're, I don't know, I think there have been times where I've heard people whose questions have maybe been aligned with some of my own feelings or issues and thought, well, I've already tried that and I've already, you know, I've gotten that help and it didn't help. And, you know, I think we... We can't, we're not mental health professionals,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but that there are so many different kinds of help out there and so many different kinds of support, and you deserve to feel like you're enjoying your time. You know, I, Tony, what you said about not, you know, what the goal is, and like, you don't have to become successful at this. This doesn't have to become your favorite thing. And now you sit at the center of the fireplace night and like lead
2: mm-hmm. the rousing
1: chorus, but like, yeah. I don't know, there's just a lot of potential and I, I want this person to feel supported because it it is true and th- there is so much feeling in this. There are so many pieces of this and it's clearly taking up your time and your space in a way that you deserve freedom from it.
0: Yeah, I think especially that line about I have what I'm pretty sure is undiagnosed social anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that does suggest to me that like if they were ever in therapy, it was perhaps brief and, and didn't necessarily do more than scratch the surface because right. this seems like – Pretty big Again, I'm not going to say like I can diagnose you with social anxiety, but if the idea of being in a group of people you've met before and who you know like you fills you with horror and panic, something's going on, Mm -hmm. something big that you need help with. And I don't know whether that's social anxiety. I don't know whether that's agoraphobia. I don't know whether it's some other type of mental health issue, but like whatever it is, it's big and it's affecting your ability to live life in the way that you want to. So I would say – Try to set up an appointment with a therapist as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Be open to the possibility of trying, among other things like cognitive behavioral therapy, the possibility of medication, the possibility of very carefully controlled immersion therapy, which does not mean go to this fireside chat next month and, like, throw yourself in the deep end. I don't by any means mean that. I mean incredibly supervised, careful,
1: incremental work. Mm Yeah, we we talk about a lot of things with a titration model in the same way as medication, like that experience can also be a titrated thing of, okay, who were the two of his friends who you feel the most comfortable with? Mm -hmm. Could you meet with the two of them and him together? Like, you know, these are the kinds of theories that like I come up with in the back of my mind for my own needs. But like maybe there are solutions that you might start to see that don't feel so all or nothing Mm -hmm. that like – yeah, how to, how to do it a, just a little bit day by day can feel impossible, but...
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think to the extent that there is a happy path here beyond have a therapist and have outcomes that you want, that you work together with your therapist to find, with your boyfriend and with your friends, it might look something like you having them understand That you're confronting this sort of like you said, having the vulnerability to say at the very least, I run into this vulnerability. um, And for them to understand that you're not asking for them to fix it, Mm. but that you're asking for them to be willing to follow your lead a little bit. Um, I feel like most people in a social situation are trying to reduce friction for most other people, that, that there's that sort of tacit understanding. and in this case, they can liberate themselves from that from that understanding and instead say, no, you know, the outcome here is just that we have a good time by this person's standards.
0: Yeah. And I think my last thing that I will want to close with here is just those those last two sentences about, I don't want to let this grow into something malignant, but I also don't want to put myself in situations that will make me uncomfortable. And I think, Both of those are true. Partly because I think when you say uncomfortable, you actually mean distressed almost to the point Mm -hmm. of being unable to to function. Like this is way more than discomfort that you're talking about. And I would agree. I don't want you to put yourself in situations where you know that you're going to absolutely fall apart. That's not helpful. That's not going to change things for you. That's just going to hurt. But I also believe that if you just say like, it's fine. I'll just never be around groups of people and hope for the best. I do think that that will end up making your life unnecessarily difficult and painful. And I want something else for you there too. And I think in between those two things is saying like, I think I have something going on with an anxiety disorder, possibly something else I want to get. I want to find out what kind of help is available to me because there's a lot of help. And again, that's not going to turn you into like a huge extrovert ever. Um, You'll still get to be yourself and get to decide who you want to spend time with and get to prioritize one-on-one interactions. But it will, I think, hopefully put you in a position where you feel more equipped to deal with your own fears um, and a better sense of how to ask for what you need. So I think you'll be able to hit middle ground in between that. I wish you a lot of luck. And um, I hope you – it sounds like you're a really supportive boyfriend. That's great. I bet he will support you if you say, I'm going to talk to a therapist mm-hmm. and maybe also a doctor and maybe also a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of that lately, and it's been great. So <laughs> Good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. This next one I think I have a very short answer to, which right. is nice because – The one thing I always forget with three people is we take much longer to answer all the questions. Mm. The subject is wondering whether to report an incident that happened decades ago. Dear Prudence, I'm wrestling with contacting police about two incidents that happened to or around me years and years ago. In the mid-90s, I answered a local ad, Writer Wanted, because the man who posted it wanted someone to ghostwrite a memoir of his father's life. We arranged to meet at a hotel, and when he came in, he made a big show of his car being broken down and me needing to get in the car with him to drive to the mechanic because it was an emergency. I said no. I would wait for him to drop the car off, and off he went, briefly, before coming back to say he wouldn't drop the car off after all. He had a folder full of interviewees that I saw, all of them women. He wouldn't give me any details about his father, and he was kind of a misogynist, telling me I should only show 25% of my body when meeting men. This was, I thought, a job interview. It felt weird at the time, and having recently watched a documentary about Ted Bundy, I find myself thinking about it again. The other incident was even earlier, a high school classmate who wrote something really disturbing, almost certainly violently misogynist about another classmate, and I wonder if I should report that one as well. My answer here is no. Um, They both sound awful and upsetting, but um, you can write anything that you want. Um, I, I, I... Actually, I wonder, I I think I had assumed that it was like a school project, but now I wonder if it was like a letter to a classmate, like Mm -hmm. I want to attack you or something. If it was a directly threatening letter, you could file a report. If it was decades ago and you're not in touch with any of those people, I guarantee you that the police are going to not do anything. Um, I I think you can often make that assumption, although I don't want to say that always because I know sometimes you got to do it, but. Yeah. For for me, uh, reporting something that a high school classmate wrote decades ago uh, does not rise to the level of something that the police can do anything about. And as creepy and as upsetting as this incident sounds with this other guy, uh, a, a, again, there's nothing actionable. It's more just like he acted like somebody who was maybe going to try to hurt me. Yeah.
1: With, you know, with so many of them, what do you want to have happen? Like, mm-hmm. what is your, you know, ideal outcome with this? Is that you expose the fact that this was some serial killer and you provided this link or, I, I don't know. I guess it's what what would you do if this was happening right now is very different than this distance. And I don't think any of us necessarily encourage involving police in pretty much anything. And I wouldn't say this, pretty much anything. Yeah, I do, but, I think,
0: have a couple of pretty specific sure, categories that sure. I'm like— that compromise is worth it, but yes. you're right that it's not just an automatic, like, hey, err on the side of calling the cops. Right, and
1: yeah. I and I wonder, like you say, with the distance of, like, are you in touch with any of these people? Is this your current community that this is—I don't know, there's just such a—yeah, there's such a distance there that it, it feels like a, a no, yeah.
2: Yeah, the—I think carry on to what would you do if this happened now is the options don't have to be— police or nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also doesn't have to be, you know, uh, I, I what I think gets advocated for a lot in our sort of, you know, novice organizer adjacent, but not, you know, on the ground performing social work and community justice, uh, which is, you know, bring it to some sort of established restorative justice program. I, I think that there are even options short of that, which is right about it write about it to your community, write about it to the communities that are likely to encounter these people and make sure that there's some sort of record so that if a person two years from now is Googling and they Google, you know, uh, is this memoirist legit, you know, insert name here, they have your blog post or something that says, hey, I went on this really strange encounter and it wasn't very positive for me. And so I think...
0: Uh, and I would also yeah. at that point advise you if you're going to use anybody's real name and yeah. you're going to make that claim and cut public, get in touch with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find out whether or not you'd be opening yourself up to potential libel, yeah. in yeah. which case you may decide that you want to tell the story uh, yeah. without using somebody's real name mm-hmm. um, because you think that it would be helpful to other up-and-coming writers to know if somebody is behaving in this way yeah. regardless of who it is, run, run, run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. there are definitely
2: options like short of the establishment of like an official whisper network about uh, – about people and like potential abusers and you know finding local community justice programs if those things feel either too far for the situation or unattainable for you in the moment you know you you shouldn't feel stifled because you because it might not be something that's feasible for you in the moment
0: yeah I think that's it that's yeah. kind of all I got for that one yeah.